1: is River from New Zealand, although I'm currently in Belgium right now, uh, traveling across Europe on the bones of my ass, trying to make my way down to Sicily, because I once heard you say on Joe Rogan that when you're in discomfort, that is where life happens. So think about your influence. Thank you.
2: bones of your ass I wasn't how do you travel on the bones of your ass man don't do that travel on the meaty part and also don't don't listen to anything I say on Joe Rogan's podcast everybody knows you got to get stoned to be on Joe Rogan's podcast even Elon Musk token a joint on Joe Rogan's podcast all right let's hear another one
3: Hi Chris, my name is Sherry Wong. I'm from China, and I've been living in Shanghai for almost six years. A city with 25 million people. I really like your podcast. I spend a lot of time on Subway every day listening to your podcast. Keep doing it, I love it. Um, On the other side of the planet, you also have fans. Just want you to know. Have a good day.
2: Thank you, Sherry Wong from China. Your English is great. Congratulations for that. I know it's not an easy language to learn sometimes, but your <clears throat> yours is fantastic. So good job with that. And I hope the, the podcast helps you uh, with the conversational English. Yeah. And really cool to know that there are people in China. China listening to this podcast on the subway. What a world. All right, one more and then we'll get to it. Hey, Chris. My name is Zane. I live in British Columbia, Canada. I'm outside this early morning doing a little workout and listening to you and thinking about where my life's at now compared to a couple years ago when I first started listening to you and really decided to quit my job and do things that I want to do that were more interesting and uh some things have worked out and some things haven't, but don't have much stability, but I'm a lot
1: happier than I was and really enjoy listening to everything you put out so keep it up
2: thanks all right Zane thanks to you just don't go traveling on the bones of your ass if you do bring a bring a cushion or something uh you're gonna like this episode, Zane and the rest of you I think will as well. This is a guy named Ricardo Serpa. If you are a Patreon supporter, you may have seen the video I made this morning for Patreon supporters. See, they get little bonus stuff sometimes. Um, I made a little video with Kisilda where I was shooting the bow and talking about the next episode that was coming up, which was going to be Aaron Ralston, who is the guy you... I'm sure you've heard his story. He was hiking in Utah alone and he had a mishap that left him with his arm pinned between two rocks and he was trapped there for 127 hours before he finally broke his arm and cut it off and got out and survived through a complicated and beautiful series of coincidences. Turns out I know a couple of people who know him and they put us in touch and he agreed to do the podcast, although he sure as hell doesn't need to do podcasts. Given the fact that he's had a major Hollywood movie made about him starring, uh, what's his name? James Franco, which Cassie and I watched again last night. Holy fuck. That's a good movie. Uh, Danny Boyle, very interesting director. Um, took a lot uh i mean actually it's such a spare story it's about a guy being trapped alone for six days five and a half days whatever it was um so there's not much to work with seemingly from a cinematic perspective so you need a really creative director to to do something with it to make it watchable and he really pulled it off it's fantastic. Anyway, that was supposed to be the episode this week. I was going to I was getting ready to put that up and I talked about it in the video I put out this morning. Uh and then this guy Ricardo came by uh for a scheduled recording of a podcast. And Ricardo is a Brazilian uh photographer, photojournalist and motorcycle enthusiast. He is currently on his way back home to Miami from Alaska and I think he said his fourth trip from Miami to Alaska and back on his motorcycle. And in the course of our conversation, it occurred to me that it might be uh, beneficial to him and to you if I bumped the Aaron Ralston episode to next week and put up this one right away um because some of you live on the route that he's going to be taking and if you'd like to meet ricardo you'd like to you know invite him to drop in for dinner or let him set up his tent in your backyard or you know offer him a shower or whatever uh it would definitely be a win-win situation because he is a very cool guy wonderful guest and um you know, and as I told him, I have yet to meet anyone through the podcast who wasn't fantastic. So it would be good for him and good for you. And so I'm throwing this up right away, and we're going to bump the other episodes a, a week back. So Ricardo Serpa, you can check him out at ricardoserpa.com. That's S E R P A, and you can see some of his fantastic photography there, and read a bit about his trips and and what kind of stuff he does. And his route, we'll talk about it in the podcast, but I'll just throw it out right now for those of you who might only listen to the intro and then, you know, get involved with other stuff and forget. Uh, He's leaving today, Monday, from L.A. Monday, September, whatever it is. Let's see. It's September 10th. Uh, He's leaving here. He's heading up through Yosemite. I don't know if he's going up the east or the west side of the Sierras, but he's going to cross over into uh, Yolo Pass, he said, going up to Montana, uh, I think he said Missoula, and then down through Yellowstone, Grand Tetons, and then he's going to be cruising down through Colorado, uh, coming in Fort Collins through Denver, Boulder area. And, um, then I'm, I th- and then he's going to go over deeper into the mountains, um, probably through Telluride, that area, Durango. And then he's going over to Moab and going to spend some time in Utah. And then I think he's just going to boogie over to, to Miami from there. So if you live in the Rocky Mountains along that route somewhere from Missoula, Montana, down to Bozeman or to um, Moab, Utah, you can uh, get in touch with Ricardo at ricardoserpa.com, and he talks about that later in the podcast. So if you don't want to take notes, he's we're going to mention it as it occurs to us later in the podcast. All right, what else do I have to say here at the beginning? Probably not much. I'm going to let you get into this, and then I'll remind you about shirts and all that shit at the end. This is Ricardo Serpa. We recorded this like an hour ago. It's totally fresh from the oven. I hope you enjoy it. I'm gonna play you out with a song uh that he mentioned in the driveway as he was getting ready to roll off. I he said he listens to music in his headphones. I said, Ah, oh, you ever heard check out tribalista? He said, Oh, you just say no I said, Yeah, so I'm gonna play that song. This is Tribalistas. The song is called You say nen nen." Ne. <laughs> I don't speak Brazilian, but or Portuguese. It's um I know how to love Yasena Morar.
1: para a televisão eu não sou audiência para a solidão, eu sou de ninguém, eu sou de Eu não sou audiência pra televisão. Eu não sou audiência para solidão. Eu sou de ninguém. Eu sou de todo mundo. E todo mundo me quer bem. Eu sou de ninguém.
2: and I were getting into this interesting conversation and and I didn't want to interrupt him to start the damn microphone, but I finally did. So continue with what you're saying and then I'll introduce you later. You're talking about an important milestone in your life.
4: Yeah. um, I had this important milestone, which we may come back to during the conversation, of course, so it doesn't fall from the sky. But it has everything to do with the loss of my father when I was 22. And that thing reshaped my whole life. Uh, and I didn't know it until a few years later. And then everything I am, everything I do today, when I look back, it has to do with that moment uh, 35 years ago. Mm. I was 22. I'm 57 now. And when I met Andrew, Andrew is the guy who...
2: Monkey in, Tooth Podcast.
4: Yeah, monthly, yeah. <laughs> Monkey Tooth uh, we met in Canada, and we clicked immediately, Tiffany, and he has a dog that is called Pelé. <laughs> I'm Brazilian. <laughs> I saw Pelé playing. So Was he playing soccer? Yeah, playing play soccer, um, the best soccer player of all time. And so the connection was there. Yeah. And we taped this podcast, and I told him about this experience, right? And then uh, just... When I read his journal, I learned that he too lost his father at twenty-two. Mm. So the conversation had a different meaning to him, mm-hmm. and I didn't
2: know. Mm. Yeah.
4: And now I'm meeting you, and you yeah. just go, you just went through the same yeah.
2: Yeah. moments
4: in life. So, so how,
2: how did it? How did the death of your father echo through your
4: life? Um, my father, it's kind of a little long story that I would try to make it as short as I can. Don't but worry about it. Um, I'm Brazilian, living in Rio, 22 years old, uh, last year of uh, college. Still living with my parents, mm-hmm. uh, actually, my dad. My dad was 47, uh, working a lot, he building his whole life. A uh, new wife, a young girl, two years old, young uh, daughter. And one day I get home the wife and the daughter are away for the weekends it's a friday night so I get home from college working at an investment bank during the day and studying at night I come back at midnight it's a friday my father is cooking <laughs> he loved to cook mm. and he said come here let's drink some wine and have some a nice chat And after two and a half bottles of wine, he goes, are you happy? Hmm. He asked me, are you happy? And I said, yes, of course.
2: Are you studying finance?
4: I was studying business administration, investment banking. That was my... Is that what he was doing? That's what he he did. Yeah. Um, I was following his path in a way. And he asked me if I was happy. I said, sure. And he thumps in his chest and said, I'm not talking about these happy. I'm talking about something deeper. Are you really happy? Mm. And I said, Well, that happiness, I don't know. I never asked myself. And I never saw my father asking me such deep questions. And I asked him why. And he told me, Well, think a lot. Think a lot about what you're going to do next. Because I'm 47 and I realize you think I'm a very happy person. I'm not. Uh, I don't, I I never got to the point where I'm doing something that makes me happy and I want to do this now. Next year I'm selling my small company and I'm building, um, I'm going to, to have my own restaurant, seven tables, seven couverts a night, two hours away from Hio in Búzios. It's a little beach town resort, right. It's like New York and the Hamptons. Right. He was basically telling me, I'm going to open my small restaurant, little restaurant in the Hamptons. He said, wow, that's incredible. What about money? And he said, I have enough to, to leave. Okay, uh, I like to write. What should I do? Go and do that. What about money? Uh, he said, well, this is the lesson I, I want to give to you, if you want to listen, um, do something you love in life, if, because probably if you are going to do something you love, you are probably going to be good at it. Nobody likes to something they are not good at, unless you are a masochist. So uh, if you are good at it, chances are some money will come your way. Right. Maybe not like the Rolling Stone song, maybe not everything you want.
2: You can't but always get what you want.
4: That one. <laughs> Everything you need, you but you, you get have. what you need. Yeah, and one month later, he had a heart attack. That's it was instant death. He called me. He was away. He called me and said, "Oh, I just wanted to to let you know that I love you and Hey, I saw you last night. So, yeah, but." Just know I love you. He He was already...
2: After the heart attack?
4: No, no. Oh, oh. Just before going to the hospital. He was feeling new. Oh. He was waiting for the ambulance. I never knew that. And a few hours later, I got the call from my mom uh, that heard the news. And that's it. He was gone. And I was sad. You lose a father. It's not easy, um, especially at that age and such a young guy. Yeah. But what made me sad, really sad, is that here goes this guy without having led a life that he could look back and say, it was worth it.
2: And he even, he was aware of that. He was aware. Yeah, it was, it was almost like an abortion. He was about to be born again. Exactly. He didn't even get a chance. To, That's a to perfect analogy. First breath. And I felt like I lost someone. Yeah.
4: I mean twice you lost, if you, understand. you
2: lost who he was going to be exactly yeah
4: i lost who he was and the new father that i was about to to have that would be an amazing guy he was smart funny yeah. uh, i learned everything about sarcasm and irony and the worst jokes that you can ever. yeah <laughs> the most <laughs> politically <laughs> incorrect jokes that you can imagine being brazilian Good. so six years later uh, I I graduated, I went to Germany, I studied, I I learned German, uh, German in Munich, I went to work for an investment bank there, came back to Brazil, uh, got myself, did some PhD, um, and got myself hired by a tobacco, big tobacco company, British American Tobacco, mm. as an export manager. Mm. So I started traveling all over the world. And... At some point, always thinking about, well, one day I will quit it all, I will go writing. And I found photography. Right. During the trips, I started photographing. And at some point, let's be honest, to think about a career as a writer in Brazil, where people don't read at all, yeah. it's, it's, it's a fantasy. Yeah. As a photographer as long as I don't need to get rich, it's doable. Hmm. So I started learning by myself, photography, traveling. And at some point, Chris, uh, photography became way more interesting than having meetings about cigarettes, yeah. about distribution, opening new markets. And I was toying with the idea of when they print it all, that thing that we all think, right? Yeah kick the bucket and let's do it yeah let's
2: be happy well not kick the bucket kick the bucket means to die oh really yeah. don't 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 not kick the bucket <laughs> please <laughs> do it before you kick the bucket. yes i think it's Sorry. The lesson here yeah that's why a bad analogy yeah but Dro- then drop everything and go out and and take the chance yes yeah
4: so that's what we decided that's what i i i was thinking to do but where do you get the strength to do it
2: did you have a wife and children at that point i got married
4: uh and at that point i had no kids uh and i was about to i married my best friend so it didn't work Ah. she was my best friend i was dating a a girl from 15 to 20. yeah she wanted to get married i said wait a little bit she didn't wait she was the love of my life (laughs) Hmm. she got married Mm -hmm. I got married too a few years later it lasted two years and 10 years later I met my old girlfriend Nicole my my better half yeah and she had two kids already a girl and a boy we met and we have been together for close to 30 years now so congratulations
2: so you married was she married at the time you met her?
4: No, she she has she had been married for close to ten years, but according to her it it didn't work. Yeah. Um and I didn't know that. I didn't know that they were kind of giving it a little break uh, right. to see if it would work. Right. And out good of timing, the blue man. it <laughs> was good timing. <laughs> good timing. But the funny thing, Chris, is that I didn't call her. Trying to go back to my past. I called her because I couldn't move forward with my future. Hmm. Um, Whenever I think... I was never a guy who wanted to go partying, you know? and, And whenever I found someone, I was always making comparisons. And I was always... Right. Going back to Nicole. And she was the standard. She was the standard, yeah. even though I didn't want to have anything with her. Come on, she's married. Um, right. Move on. But at some point I thought, well, maybe that's what I I believed back then. Well, I have two basic options. Spend a lot of money that I didn't have with a shrink. Mm. <laughs> uh, asking why can't I move on with any relationships. Mm and at some point the shrink would have told me hey you didn't have closure (laughs) right go call her she if she's happy and right Um, or call her skip the shrink and call her hey are you okay happy
2: (laughs) I can move on it's funny, people pay a lot of money to therapists to tell them what they already know they need to do. Exactly. A lot of times. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I, I
4: would say that. that a lot of... You were right, not all the times, yeah. because that would un- invalidate the whole thing. But right, right. But sometimes you know what you need to do. You know, it's yeah, in, yeah. you just have to face it, right?
2: And also if you'd called her and maybe she wasn't as amazing as you remembered. Of course. You know, Or maybe she changed. but But, at least you would know that's over oh my only question
4: was did you make the right decision right so i can move on i was hoping for her to say yes and when i met her i didn't know that they were separated and anyway it it works and one month later i was dating not the 18 years old girl the 20 years old girl but the 30 years old woman uh, and things just naturally evolved.
2: did you know when you you met her in a restaurant or something, or where did you meet
4: uh, the second time around yeah. uh in a neutral place, which was her parents' house <laughs> 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 Nothing neutral about how it
2: neutral that is did you how long did it take before you felt like oh this this road is still open and i wanna i wanna go down this road to tell you the truth uh well, I met her
4: um at 9, 9 p.m one night and we left at 5 a.m
2: <laughs> so just talking first night
4: when i left i knew yeah, yeah when i left i knew but i didn't want to um, even to admit it to myself of course yeah it would be hurt hurting myself again yeah but it happened to her as well yeah and now we have four kids oh. I mean, the two from her, right. girl and boy, and two from us, yeah. girl and boy. And they all live together. We moved to the States in 2001 and so on. But going back to, uh, to that question, it took me about six years yeah. to realize. I was married, still my first marriage, but it was I could see the end of it. Mm. We both could. Mm. And one day I was launching a new brand of cigarettes in Paraguay, close to Brazil. I had gone there maybe, I don't know, five, six times doing tests and this and that. And in this last visit, um, that was 89, uh, I was taking photos and I had the camera in my lap and I was going all over the country with a driver doing tests. Little villages, hey, do you like this blend here? Do you like this? What do you smoke? And in the middle of this trip, the guy lost control of the car in a big rain, and the car went off the road, start rolling over, and I was pretty sure, Chris, I was dying. I'm 28 years old and I'm dying. The car is rolling. It all goes very fast, but in your mind, it's a cliche, but it's true. It all goes very slow. And I had the time to realize and to think about it, that first, I'm dying, 2nd What a surprise, I'm not scared. And third, realizing I was really pissed off, I was really upset because I was dying just like my father,
2: without Without without
4: taking the the steps to do something that I could embrace and say, this is mine, this is me. So I didn't die, spent two two days in the hospital, a little shack hospital. I don't know how I didn't die with an infection. Mm. Went back to Brazil, and I quit my job. The Mm. president of the company said, Come on, Ricardo, one day you can be here, Mm. in my place. You are a high flyer. If Philip Morris wants you, I can cover it. No, it's not Philip Morris. I want to be a, a photographer, a professional photographer. And the guy couldn't understand it. He said to me, Well, I think you were still traumatized by the accident. Right stay here around and I said no it's it's defined that's what I want to do so I stayed two months more traveled closed my deals found a replacement and I was on by myself three months later I was hired by the biggest newspaper in Rio without knowing how to do it Chris
2: Without knowing how to do photojournalism or yeah. photography in general? Photography in general. Have, I, I
4: had a good taking eye. taking pictures, right? I was taking pictures, but doorknobs, you know these mm. birds flying, everything that people, when they are starting, they do. Right. I didn't know how to develop film. Right. Were you
2: shooting color or black and white? Just color. Yeah. Negatives. Um
4: No, negatives. Okay. Uh, just uh, ectachromes and... Yeah. Anyway, um, what I shot a little transparency, but never black and white. Mm. And I met this fantastic group of very accomplished photojournalists. That was a lucky moment. And they kind of embraced me. One of them asked me, hey, did you quit your job? Did you really quit your job to become a photographer? But you were an export manager. Do you mind how, if I ask you how much? and i told him you have no clue <laughs> what you just did <laughs> you <dumbass. laughs> yeah and yeah. he said you know what you want to be a photojournalist at least you should meet them so i want to set up an interview with you and the editor of the jornal do brazil yeah just a courtesy i went there the guy uh, welcome me and welcome me and say, well, from the get go, right off the bat, I don't have a job for you. We have thirty photographers, staff photographers, in this multi-million city. This is the standard of photojournalism in Brazil. Mm. Everyone wants to work here. They are accomplished people, so yeah. I cannot offer you a job. And I said, okay. Oh, tell me your story. I told him. And at some point he asked me, hey, did you quit your job? You were fired, right? I said, no. <laughs> I quit. Really? To do what? I said, look, you, offer, you You said to me that you couldn't offer me a job. I'm not looking for a job. I'm looking for a life. Um, I'm not happy with what I was doing. And Jesus is alive for me. He sat back. You are a little crazy, right? <laughs> do you know how much a, a starter photo- starting photographer, a rookie photographer makes? He told me it was 15 times, Chris. 15 times less yeah. than what I was making. Yeah. Right? And I said, I'm okay. I have my car. I have my small apartment. It's paid. I can do it. Yeah. He goes... It's your lucky day. I'm going to give you three months in the midnight shift. Nothing happens. If you make it happen, you're in. And it was just luck sometimes helps. Um, It was just a moment where there was a huge wave of kidnappings going on in Rio. So people would stay in, in the kidnapped house or apartment for weeks until they were returned. The press was there, you know, waiting for the guy to be released so they could take photos. Always at night, always in the early hours of the... And I did like five or six in a row. I became the guy, front page photos, and suddenly I I was there. Three years later, I was shooting the Sunday Magazine in Color Transparency, which was the...
2: Right.
4: Really the filet mignon of the... I got lucky. Yeah. But luck only happens when you position yourself. Yeah, Otherwise, right. luck is always knocking on our doors, yeah. but we
2: don't... We don't hear it. We don't hear it. We're, we're yeah. distracted by other things. By complaining. <laughs> you know, you before we started, you said um, you said uh, you don't know anything about me. And and, and I said, well, sometimes <laughs> I I try not to tell long stories on the podcast. But if you don't mind, I'll tell you a oh, story. Oh, I'd love to. Um, which I don't think I've, I've spoken about on this podcast. I do, um, separate podcasts where I just talk about things that happened to me and my life traveling. And I think I might've talked about this then. So I'll, I'll keep it short, but, um, I had a job. I, after I finished college, I went to Alaska and worked on fishing boats for a couple of summers and adventures. And, um My first trajectory was to be an academic. I wanted to go to uh, Oxford or someplace and get a PhD and then teach literature. But the literature I really loved was literature about traveling and adventures and things. And so when I went to Alaska, I realized, like, wait a minute, I can talk about doing these things. Or I could do these things, right? (laughs) Like you make a choice and I'd rather do them. So that was the end of my first career path. And then um, I did that for a couple of years. And then there was a woman who lived in New York that I wanted to spend more time with. And I thought, well, it would be fun adventure to go and live in New York. This was 1985. From Alaska to New York. Right. I would never lived in a big city. And New York in the 80s was very raw and edgy and, you know, and it was still you could live there relatively cheaply. Like now, forget about it. But in those days, it was you could just get a job and live there. So I thought I'll go to New York. I'll I'll drive a taxi or I'll work in a restaurant, whatever, um, just to be there and spend some time with her and see. Because it was similar to your situation where she was the standard. I was meeting other women, but... You know, I kept Mm -hmm. thinking about her and like, hey, I better go check this out and see, is this for real or not? Because otherwise I'll spend the rest of my life comparing everyone to this fantasy, right? So I went to New York and got a job in a restaurant. And uh, I don't know, maybe a month after I started working there, there was a guy there eating alone. And I was, uh, you know, bringing him his food and stuff. And he was reading a novel that I loved called The Unbearable Lightness of Being, right? oh. Milan Kundera, yeah. right? I'd read it four or five times, probably. And I said something about the novel, and he said, Yeah, and I said, you know, this particular character is really interesting. It's the dog. I think the dog is the central character in that novel. Anyway, we start chatting, and it was late, and he invited me to sit down and have some wine. I sat down, and we talked. He was uh, in his mid-30s. I was in my mid-20s and um interesting dude very um very um curious asking me lots of questions he had grown up in new york he was you know that was his world and i had just arrived right so he asked me if i wanted to join him the next day at his gym and i thought hmm it's kind of a gay pickup thing to invite me to his gym but he didn't i I had lots of gay friends so i was comfortable i don't care about that but um Anyway, I went to the gym and it was this very exclusive, you know, high class gym where Henry Kissinger supposedly went and (laughs) Bill Clinton. And like, I'd never been in a place like this, you know, where like Uh guys are coming around handing you a towel and stuff. And, um, and he was asking me all these questions I'll never forget the conversation because it was so bizarre. Like, you know, he's like, um, so one of them was when you go, to your apartment tonight if the lights don't work what would you do i said well i'd check the fuse box oh how many circuits there are two circuits how, where's the fuse? it's in the kitchen uh, how many amps per circuit i think it's i don't know 20 amps Maybe. and then he would switch from that to what do you think happens after we die or you know can people change or are we just the way we are uh-huh. you know fix personalities and it'd go back and forth between very practical and very abstract Turns out this was a job interview, and he wanted to know like what I was like philosophically, what my idea of life sure. was, but also did I have any practical knowledge and was I curious about the way things worked? He had just inherited a bunch of real estate in Midtown Manhattan. And it was his family's property and he was managing it, but he was bored and wanted to do other things. So he hired me to run the property so he could go do other things. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So like six months after arriving in New York with no connections, I was living rent free on Fifth Avenue in a penthouse apartment, (laughs) making tons of money managing real estate in, in the Diamond District, which is all Jewish. I'm not Jewish, obviously. People thought I was Jewish because I was always around. They just assumed. So it was this bizarre adventure, but I was making a lot of money. And I had no business experience. I hadn't taken a math class since high school. I was like doing Marxist literary criticism in college, you know. (laughs) But Anyway, so it was this bizarre adventure. But then I started getting bored because it wasn't my world. You know, it was by temperament and by interest... The only thing that was interesting about it is how bizarre it was. And so I would talk to him about, like, I think maybe I need to move on, you know, because I want to see the world. I want to travel. And he's like, come on, we'll take my jet. We'll fly to, you know, we'll do five star. Like, that's not the travel I'm talking about. Anyway, what happened? The reason I'm telling you this whole story is there's a photojournalist in in the middle of this story. I'm sitting in my office one day and this woman walks in wearing tight jeans, a denim jacket, red cowboy boots. Beautiful woman named Catalina Montero Alvarez from Madrid and she was a photojournalist and she was traveling around the world taking photos, selling them to Spanish newspapers for the Sunday edition, right. but you know and she wanted to do a story about the Diamond District, this one street in New York where everybody, all the diamonds and jewels. It's 45th, right? 47th. 47th, yeah. And, uh, and so she, the, the doorman downstairs told her I could show her around because he was my buddy and he's like, yeah, Chris is going to hook up with this woman. So uh-huh. she, he sends her up and we <laughs> end up spending the whole day together. We did end up having dinner together, spent a few nights together. But the point is that I remember we were at dinner and she had this, um, these large format photographs and she took them out and she was showing me. Here's a shot I took in Varanasi and here's a shot I took in Mindanao in the Philippines and here are a couple shots in Guatemala and here's Brazil and here's uh, San Cristobal de las Casas in Mexico and I was looking at these photographs and I realized I was looking at my life That's my life, not this shit, not this three-piece suit, money, security. The life you want that you leave. That's the life I was on my way to live when all this money and opportunity fell into my lap that was wonderful, but it wasn't for me, right? It's like if someone offered me a $10 million yacht right now, like how could you say no? But I'm not into yachts. That's like, I don't want to live on a yacht. That's not the kind of life I want to live. But it's like, but it's a free yacht. Like, people are dying to get this. Uh And you just feel like you have to accept it, even though it's not really your style. You know what I mean?
4: Is the system telling you, hey, you're winning?
2: Who is crazy to reject? Yeah, exactly. And, And your father was, that's what he was saying to you. It's like, wait, even if it's. I don't mean to say I know what your father was saying, but the message I hear... But you probably know. That is like, hey, you have to live your life. Not what anyone else tells you is the good life. Yeah. Only you can decide that. And this thing about
4: people telling you what your life should be all about, it's everywhere today in this internet age, in the old days. Remember radio? Yeah. And when there was just radio...
2: Well, That's when I don't people remember could. That, but, yeah,
4: I don't remember yeah. that either. But <laughs> I read. You don't remember that. <laughs> but you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, you have to be close to the radio to have someone telling you how to lead your life. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it will be your family right. trying to keep the traditions. Right. Which is not as powerful. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's the social media, everybody's happy, everybody's got you know, you just see exactly it, it's all advertising. So when you were doing the, the the tobacco, aside from the fact that it wasn't your it wasn't really aligned with your appetites as a person, mm-hmm. were you troubled by the ethical thing that cigarettes kill people and they're addictive and that whole a little bit, but mm. not that much. I, I
4: used to smoke back then. It mm. was almost a requirement. Yeah, to work there. <laughs> you could smoke <laughs> in the elevators. Yeah, there was a sign saying, allow to smoke. <laughs> 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 that was so no distorted. Days, huh? But that was eighty uh, late 80s. It was not like today. Today, I would yeah. probably feel very embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how much of this embarrassment would be my own,
2: yeah.
4: and how much it would be just peer, uh, pressure right. from everyone else. Right. Do you work for these killers and so on? But it probably uh, it had something to do with it, yeah. but it was not the major thing at all. Um, I just wanted to do exactly what you said. I didn't see the photos. Mm. Oh, this is my life. But I imagine this is what I want to do.
2: Why photojournalism? Like you said, you were taking pictures of birds and things. So you knew you had some talent for it, friends or people had said, hey, Ricardo, you should think about yeah, this. Yeah, these
4: guys from the photojournalists told me I had the kind of five of a photojournalist, yeah. the curi- curiosity of a photojournalist. Right. And if you remember when I first started um, speaking here, talking here, my main passion was... And it still is to a degree. Writing, I love writing. Ah, okay. So that was a way of combining things. In I could be, especially in the Sunday magazine, I could be in the weekly meetings suggesting um, uh, stories. Hey, want to do a story about how is life on an oil rig? Mm. So let's spend the whole week on a. So you on did an the oil writing rig. as well. No, uh, I could suggest. Right, so you pitch uh, the story. Yeah. yeah, but there was always a reporter. But I was getting close to it. Right. And I still write to this day. Uh, but I just don't imagine pursuing a life as a writer right now. Yeah. The closest I got to it... It's a very recent project. I don't know if I should talk about it now or should we?
2: Talk about whatever you want, man. Okay, so
4: <laughs> we go
2: <laughs> north-south. Um, it's called tangentially speaking. Do you know that expression? No, Yeah, learning now. You know what a tangent is? Yes. Okay, so tangentially speaking is when you're not following the main point. You're going off and talking about? perfect something else that's sort of related and that's that's the whole when we point come back here. okay then come great back or not whatever so talking about
4: writing uh i had a fantastic experience uh two years ago i went to portugal uh, i have a very deep relationship with portugal of course as a mm. brazilian first then my mother is living there for six years now mm. in Cascais.
2: Cascais. Yeah. So I love Cascais. It's beautiful. And Sintra. It's, yeah. yeah it's that all. that, area is
4: that country cool. is really special. Yeah. Uh, my mom lived over 20 years in Paris and then moved to Portugal six years ago. And she's as happy as she
2: can be there. I think the best seafood I've ever eaten is in Cascais. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You remember the place? I do. Casilda would remember the name of it. Um, and I could find it if I went back. Casilda lived in Lisbon when we met. Oh, okay. We met in Panish. Uh-huh. Which is, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. And, Beautiful waves. Yeah. Yeah. And we used to, we had a long distance thing for uh, maybe almost a year where I would go every month or, you know, she'd come to Barcelona. Um, so I spent a lot of time in Cascais, and we were looking, I was actually, I moved to Lisbon, and we were looking at property, we are going to buy an old ruin and oh. fix it up. In the end, it didn't happen, but
4: uh, yeah. So yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking I, I about. Cascades, that place is yeah. amazing.
2: Yeah. And I
4: had a full month, I, I did a tour in Alaska, I, this is something I can go back later, because mm-hmm. otherwise it would be tangent. Tangent, tangent, tangent.
2: (laughs) compound tangent. Yeah,
4: but um, it was July of sixteen. I was in Alaska for two weeks guiding a motorcycle tour. It's another chapter, Um, and I was there for fifteen days leading this group and having a lot of time to think. And I said, "Well, August, Uh, I have this whole month free." have some money in my pocket uh, that I I can use to do a project and I want to go to Portugal on a bike and explore the country and do a book mm. so long story short I flew to Portugal rented a bike uh, some amazing people in Lisbon made me a very good deal so I could afford it and I spent a whole month crossing Portugal north south zigzagging east and west and I, I did over five thousand kilometers. In a, pff, north to south is seven hundred kilometers. So yeah, I ran so a lot of a lot tangential riding. Yes. There. Yeah. And the whole goal was this: stopping on a BMW a, a GS. Uh, stopping whenever I felt like, whenever I saw interesting characters, and just letting things happen. Meaning, I stop. I see someone interesting. Having a coffee and a cigarette by a, a bar, I stop. I sit next to the person, order a coffee, some water, and every single time that person would come and approach me. Right? Hey, you are Brazilian. I see the flag. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing here? Well, I'm. I'm here uh, exploring Portugal. Actually, I'm discovering Portugal. You guys discovered Brazil. 500 years ago it's my turn now, Mm. and that's already open a smile um well what are you writing about said well i'm writing about the beautiful country uh and taking photos oh the book is about landscapes no 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 landscapes you have enough yeah what makes a country well i don't know the people So I'm making a book about the Portuguese people. And all this, Chris, I just improvised in the first meeting. I didn't have all these questions, all this script in my head. It was just me being me and saying, let's see if I can do this. And at the same time I'm talking with the people, part of me is observing this from above and say, wow, you are doing fine. (laughs) Keep doing it. I'm surprised at how comfortable I am in that situation. And usually very simple people. And when I tell them it's about the people, they go, great, you are right. We make the country. Mm. And what is the book about? And I tell them, I told the first person, uh, the book is about uh, the people and it goes like this. I ask one single question and your answer is part of the book. Your answer and your photo. And the question is the same, the answers are different. Do you want to participate? Oh, no. Hell no. <laughs> I don't have any literacy, <laughs> I have no education, mm. I don't even know how to sign my name. Mm. So, okay, I respect that, not a problem. But what is the question? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> And yeah. then I learn. That's nice. It's like, it's like dealing with a cat. Yes. You say, and then the cat ignores you and walks away, but eventually it will come, come back. Yeah, you can't force it. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I,
4: I, the first time I got to this question, what is the question? I laughed and I said, I'm not telling you. Uh, why? Uh. Because I know exactly what will happen. I'm going to tell you the question. You said you won't participate in the book, and you are going to give me the most awesome answer ever. And I won't be able to use it, so I'd rather not tell you. <laughs> so this person, the first one, scratches his head and goes, ah, to hell with it. I will do it. Mm. What is the question? Well, the question is very simple. What is it like to be Portuguese? That's it. Yes, that's it. That's an amazing question. And it's very easy. Remember, this is a guy who cannot sign his name. Mm. To, to, to be Portuguese is to feel nostalgic all the time. Fado. About something that I didn't leave. Something that I can't put my finger on. Mm. But I suspect it has something to do with my antecessors. Mm. Because we discovered the world. Yeah, the lost empire. We were it. And now we are here, this little place, nobody knows who we are. I miss those days, even though I didn't leave them. (laughs) (laughs) And praise, that was amazing. I felt like I hit the jackpot with that first answer. And one month later, 60 60 interviews later, I have this feeling that I kind of understand at least the simple people in Portugal. I never expanded the project to the middle class and yeah. you know the wealthy people. Yeah. And now there is a publisher there. There is interest in he liked the concept and he wants to expand.
2: Cool.
4: So I may do it again.
2: So it's a photograph and photograph photo text. and text. Have you heard? Do you do, you do Instagram? Yes. Do you, do you are you familiar with the account called uh, Humans of New York? Yeah, sure. Similar I follow kind of thing. They're fantastic. Yeah, R- really. Just a, a portrait of a person and a little vignette of something about their lives. That's...
4: Exactly. Following yeah. a theme. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is Humans of New York, and yeah. he he has done it in several other yeah. places. Yeah. Um, so it's the same concept, yeah. and I would love Chris to do this now here in America. Yeah. One year on the bike. Yeah what is it like to be an American now? Yeah, Um, which is not
2: what it was like 10 years ago. No. Or
4: years ago. The only problem is that I imagine if I do this today, it would have such a heavy political bias. You know, it would... The moment I ask this, a Brazilian, if I ask this to the wrong crowd, they would immediately, hey, are you a liberal trying to make fun of me? Right? Right? it's a no go. It's a known. Yeah. But you are right. It's not the same thing. I'm
2: I'm really impressed. But But I think and you say impressed you mean in the sense of uh it's making an impression. Oh yeah. On you. Yeah. It's uh you know, we we were talking earlier about before I turned on the mics we were talking a little bit about the United States and and issues, cultural issues here. And people have heard me complain about this country a lot on this podcast. Um, As an American, I feel free to say whatever I want about my own country. Mm -hmm. But I've lived outside of the country most of my life. So I also see it from outside in some ways. But I've told this story before. A, A Spanish friend of mine, one time we were talking about America and he said, he said, "Chris, the best thing and the worst thing about your country is America has no sense of the ridiculous." <laughs> so you have the best artists, you have Jimi Hendrix, and you have ridiculous crazy stupid things that anyone else would have stopped before they did it, you know? And I think his he made a good point. Like there is a, a openness and freedom which leads to utter stupidity sometimes but sometimes leads to great genius right mm-hmm. and so it's it's a dangerous but also very creative place but what i was going to say about your idea for your project is that i think my feeling about the american people is that they are essentially really kind i believe it's the, true. not the culture the culture is all about fear and suspicion and trying to convince them that outsiders are dangerous and you know, the, all the terrorists everywhere and all this shit to control us and, um, you know, manipulate the public mind. But I think when you actually meet people, especially out in the countryside, face to face, even though you have an accent and you're obviously from somewhere else, you're friendly, they're friendly, you'll be able to. I don't think you would run into problems. You were. 110% right that's your experience as well
4: yeah. um, I'm glad. if I can elaborate a little bit Please. on this yeah. I'm doing now I'm in the middle actually almost towards the end of my fourth long journey motorcycle trip from Al- Florida to Alaska and back each of these trips they took like two and a half months three months 20,000 miles 25,000 miles 30 states and meeting people all the time. The trick is doing this alone.
2: Yeah.
4: First, because I have my own pace. I stop for photos every time. Right. Uh, all the time. And also because when you are by yourself, Chris, on a motorcycle, being a Brazilian in America, on a German motorcycle, people feel you are very vulnerable. Sure. I've heard many, many times. The listeners may disagree, but... People love my accent. I don't right. know how. <laughs> but It's the, a good accent. Brazilian's
2: lo- <laughs> a good accent. Yeah. The
4: longer I live here, the worse the accent gets. Uh, <laughs> get. so it's been
2: 18 years. <laughs> you, Brazilian, Italian, these are good accents for yeah. men to have. I mean, yeah. Brazilian and Italian, they're both sexy men or women. French, I think it works for women, not so well not for Not so well for men? Yeah. German? Yeah, German, forget about it. <laughs> American, generally not a good accent. Very nasal.
4: Yeah, but... Yeah. Uh,
2: I'm, I'm American. But the I think the women is even worse, because they're all screeching and...
4: Yeah, the problem is yeah. that we are being limited in vocabulary. Yeah. So it's like, oh my God, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, um, oh my yeah. God, I'm like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this mannerism. But the mannerism. people see uh, geez, um and when I'm by myself, the warmth, the the kindness that people show me. Yeah,
2: um, You mentioned the motorcycle trips. That was another thing I wanted to talk to you about because... The way you travel combines two great... Three great loves of mine, actually. Motorcycles, travel, and photography. I also worked as a photographer, not like you. And I shouldn't say worked. I sold a few photographs. So I consider myself a (laughs) professional photojournalist. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I had a photograph that was on the cover of... um, I think a Rand McNally map. Wow. Yeah, a photo I took in Antigua, Guatemala. Because what happened... Now, going back to an earlier story, after I met that woman, Catalina Uh Montero Alvarez, I went into work the next day and quit my job. And my boss said, he said, uh, he said, well, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And that was it. And then he. You know, because we had sort of argued about it several times. So he knew when I finally said that's it, like it wasn't impulsive. And he went down to the street. Um, there was a famous photography store called 47th Street Photo. I remember. That's where I bought my first camera. No kidding. <laughs> <Yes>. Really. <laughs> All right. the so very this, first one. And this, well, maybe you walked down the street when I was there, because I was working there from, it was like 84, 85, 86, right in there. Mine was 88. Ah, okay. And then I went back in 89, but that's another story. Um, but anyway, he went down, he bought me a Nikon F3 Whoa. high eye point and a Nikkor 35 to 135 zoom lens. And he gave them to me as a going away gift. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know anything about photography. I was just, you know, point and shoot, you know. Um, And I took that camera with me to India, Nepal, Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Sumatra, you know, Lake Toba, which is where one of the photos uh, Mm -hmm. from Catalina. Shooting transparencies. I was shooting um, Kodachrome Kodachrome. Kodachrome. Because the photography that I really loved uh, was the sort of National Geographic, Geo, you know, that kind of, um, that that was the photography I felt most resonant with. Sebastian Salgado, he shot a lot in, in black and white, of course, but I, I didn't really understand black and white that well. Um, so I tended to go more for color and... Uh, yeah, that's I that's, I like
4: that's the same way I started. I mentioned here, Ektachrome. Ektachrome yeah. was transparency, actually. Uh, I was shooting. I forgot the negatives back yeah. then. But yeah. black and white, Trix.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was learning on on the film and and uh, you know with that camera and learning how the depth of field and framing and all those things. And uh, you learn it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like I did. Yes. Yeah. And then there were books I, I read when I came back to the States after that trip. Um, I did some classes and I read um, some books. Um, Galen Rowell was yeah. someone I really admired. That guy was climbing your cemetery yeah. all the
4: time. Yeah. And he died recently. He I died, mean, not so yeah, recently. On a plane crash. On a plane crash. Yeah. I didn't remember how. Small plane. He was flying some to a, a chute. Maybe two, three weeks ago, I passed by his gallery. Oh, really? It's Gail, Galen, and Barbara Hohen. Uh-huh. Gail. I Galen think, is gone. Yeah. I don't remember where, but I think it's close to three ninety-five. Probably, yeah. It's one yeah. of these little he loved towns. The that yeah, his... it's
2: one of these little towns, and I, yeah. I passed by it. He had a book called Mountain Light. Yeah, I loved because it was was really written for photographers one page was the photo and then the other page was exactly the conditions of the photo so where he was what the weather was like what lens he used the shutter speed you know what special considerations he had to take into account and I was never like high altitude or anything I was just travel Uh shooting travel stuff um yeah so so, yeah, so these motorcycles, and I love motorcycles. I've been riding motorcycles my whole life. I've had all sorts of adventures. I almost hit an elephant in, <laughs> in Thailand. <laughs> That's not good. Yeah, I rented a bike up at Chiang Mai. This was like 80, this was on that first trip, so it was 89, no, 88, 87, something like that. Um, yeah, and it was great, though, because I came around a corner too fast and there was this elephant in the middle of the road, moving lumber, moving mm-hmm. logs. and I you know s- stopped as fast as I could, ended up stopping probably five feet away from this elephant, which was bizarre. I'd never been that close to an elephant, you know, and uh, it could have been closer.: <laughs> You could have been a lot closer. Anyway, it was just such a striking experience that the rest of my life riding motorcycles, when there's a blind turn, I always imagine there's an elephant there. <laughs> So it keeps Uh, me, keeps me slow, keeps me. Yeah. yeah. This is a very good teaching. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I, I love the feeling of being on a motorcycle, particularly because of what you said, the vulnerability. Yes. Because so much of, of what we do in life is to protect ourselves, you know, make some money so you can, you know, get an air conditioned tinted windows, you know, it's all about protecting ourselves and then we don't realize the more we protect ourselves the more isolated we are Mm -hmm. and then we like protect ourselves to death like there's not there's no life where's the life like oh well the life is when you're not protected yeah that's when you feel alive so riding down a road on a motorcycle you smell the world in a way you can't even all the windows open in a car you don't smell passing through a, a tree that's flowering or you know a dead animal on the side of the road or whatever it is like you there's a sensory immersion with a motorcycle that's it you are
4: a sense of inclusion you're in the world you're you not looking in, at it exactly yeah. you are not in a cage yeah. I, I don't like this analogy cars and cages but yeah. people use this and you are not there in a cage protected with air conditioning music or yeah. whatever yeah. and i also happen to think that if you ask me i did probably over a hundred thousand miles in this past four to five years four times Florida to Alaska and back, it's a lot of miles. People don't believe it, but I still believe that, still think that it's much safer, Chris, for me, myself, personally, to go on a motorcycle than in a car. I know myself in a car. I know how to drive, Mm -hmm. but you have this false sense of security. Mm. And if something is going to happen it's going to happen it doesn't matter if you are in a car or riding a motorcycle if a nating wheeler is going your way because the guy fell asleep, fell asleep in in yeah. the i'm going to be i'm i'm gone yeah in a car or in a motorcycle so i feel safer mm. because somehow i have this notion that that's it that yeah. my, my body is my protection yeah so that kinds of and i'm 57 too i'm not 22 so so you're not it makes, taking crazy risks no i'm not yeah. every now and then i do a silly thing by myself when i can yeah. like nobody around and it's a desert road ah, let me go 90
0: yeah
4: and i do 90 and i stop and i say "Hey, that was a trail good back yeah. to yeah. 60 <laughs> <laughs> and i'm feeling yeah. great yeah and um, it's it fulfills me with so much that I, I don't even be, know how to begin to say how much this completes me. And and the funny thing, I'm not a motorcycle... I'm not crazy about motorcycles. I love them. I always had motorcycles since I was 18. I raced motorcycles. I raced enduro uh, competitions in Brazil. You know enduros? Mm-hmm. It's on this, and off. On it's, and off road. No, it's only off-road. Oh. It's like a motocross, but motocross, you are going in circles. In a, I mean, not circles. You are going in a track. Uh-huh. Enduro is like saying Los Angeles to Seattle, dirt roads. Uh, okay. And you have three days to do it. So like the Paris-Dakar? Paris-Dakar. Okay. That's an enduro. Right. A, right. a rally. Right, right. And I did this for many, many years. Uh-huh. But never... I did it for the fun. Yeah. Never on a top team, or right, and it's the same approach. And the funny thing also is that I don't know how to to deal with the motorcycles. Oh, you don't fix them? No, no. no. Um, I I'm not mechanical mechanically inclined. Yeah, I'm actually handicapped so in that
2: sense. Do you run into problems when you're out no. on trips? Do you have a BMW? They rarely break down. That's one of the reasons yeah. why I have
4: the BMW. Yeah. Uh, um, the, worst, the worst day I had in this 100,000 miles so far, and I have ridden in Mongolia, in Africa, in South America, in New Zealand, mm. all over yeah. as a tour guide. The only problem I had was three flat tires in the same day in 2014, just the day before Brazil lost to Germany 7 1 (laughs) in the World Cup. You saw it coming. Were were you riding over glass or what were you? I was on the far end of, north end of Canada, past the Yukon, Northwestern Territories. Uh I went to Inuvik, Inuvik, which is a 3,000 town. Three thousand people town basically of native and um, native Canadians, and i I went there because of the road, thirteen hours to go, five hundred miles, dirt roads, two gas stations, and that was it it 's a very challenging road it 's mm. called the Dempster highway, yeah, beautiful, remote, amazing photo, so I finally did it the next day I had. The whole day to come back to Dawson City, yeah. the capital of the gold rush, already in the Yukon, and on the deck. Next day it would be the, the Brazilian game. So I did. I took off early, and it's very sharp rocks. Whenever you slow down to take a photo, to stop and take a photos, you risk having ah, a puncture. Right, and I was lucky because I don't know how to remove my wheel. And I, I'm not afraid of admitting it. I know how to ride. Yeah. Kind of well. But to mix, to fix it, it's something yeah. else. Yeah. I
2: have roadside assistance really? <laughs> or other people helping but me. But you must be on roads. Like, how can you, you don't have a signal to call?
4: I have a little tracker uh-huh. uh, that sends a signal. Uh- My wife knows where I am, no matter who, every 10 minutes really she can google me google maps she knows exactly where i am right and if i'm moving or not moving and if you're if
2: another woman is within 10 meters of you uh it wouldn't happen (laughs) 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 doesn't have a special app for that (laughs) no it it wouldn't happen
4: one of the the tricks is um to get my hall pass as i call Uh it it's just true Should be it's absolute trust yeah. you have to otherwise yeah, and i talk over during my sleep too it's not a good <laughs> recipe to for someone to be <laughs> to having you know yeah. side roads yeah yeah um and i love my wife very much so uh anyway <laughs> i don't think she listens uh, no. to this podcast ah uh, maybe she will <laughs> maybe and she
2: it's true win. even if she doesn't yeah, anyway yeah, um and now I lost track. And you're you're away from home a lot on these trips. I mean, yes. out of out of a typical year, how many months are you away? Probably four, about yeah. four, yeah. maybe
4: five. But again, there is. I met my wife. I was 15. We are 57. We have the same age, and it's it's hard to explain without sounding corny or cliche. But she's a life partner. Yeah. Uh, we have we have a life together, yeah, so i don't need to be all the time
2: there with her. We have different interests right um yeah there's a freedom in that in knowing yeah. like this this is what it is, nothing's going to change it now and, we can live we don 't need to worry about it and i'm not and, looking for any adventures
4: on that side on right. the emotional side right or the love side let's but right. it's not the emotional the uh, I'm happy. Um, I don't think I would jeopardize this yeah. for some random meeting, you right. know, in a... You never know. People say, hey, you can always find the love of your life around
2: the corner. Mm, I think that probably applies more to people who haven't. Who have not, yes. You have. I have. And you're, like, and you're smart enough to recognize that. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I I well, if you read Sex at Dawn, I would offer you a copy, but you, you don't I will get carry one. carry it around on your motorcycle. I will get one. Really? And really. Yeah. I will get do you, one do because you take books or do
4: you do Kindle or I do iPads, uh iPad. iBooks.
2: Ah, well then download it.
4: And yeah. you don't have something to carry. Yeah, yeah, and I will. I will because I started reading about it and I know it became a bestseller yeah. and just the title well, I wrote it with my wife. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice to know it. And just the title got me already interested. Yeah. Sex. Yeah. And, oh, well,
2: um, I will do it. No, I want to, before you run off, because I know you are You mentioned earlier, people can't see you here, but you're, you've got your motorcycle pants on. Are you hot, by the way? No, I'm you're fine. Right? I'm fine. Um, and you're leaving here, headed back toward Miami by way of Yosemite and, and Montana. Yes. I'm going to have a very long road
4: back home, Chris, because well i didn't talk why i'm i didn't told i didn't tell you why i'm doing this actually in the first place the first time
2: do you have five minutes we have I'm... we have all day you're, okay. I'm going nowhere i live here <laughs> okay. you're the guy who has to like get to wherever you're trying to go tonight like,
4: um, I'll probably schedule. sleep by the side of the road. You're welcome in... to sleep here in the van, thank by the way. You, That's you. our guest room. Thank you so much, yeah. Chris. But I, I have to keep going. I would love to, but I, I have to keep going because I don't have so, so many days now. Right. I have to be in, in Florida by October 11th. Hmm. I have hmm. an appointment there. and right. So it's like a going, month to do a lot. And you're going up to Montana and then... Yellowstone uh-huh. and then Colorado and Utah. Because uh, I've never been on the road mid September. Right. And I went, it's less heat, less people. Yeah. The trees are changing. Right. And I went to Aspen's, photograph that. Yeah. Um, are you going to Moab? Oh, yeah. That, that Moab area? is yeah. My, one of my hubs. Oh, okay. I stayed there. <laughs> we were just there two weeks ago? They're coming yeah. back from Colorado. This trip, I stopped there mid July in Vegas. I parked the bike, and Nicole flew to Vegas. We rented the Jeep, and we spent two weeks doing Moab, Durango, Mesa Verde. Who, who flew there? My wife, Nicole. Oh, your wife.
2: Oh, Nicole. Okay. Oh, oh, sorry.
4: She's yeah. Nicole. Yeah. She flew in, yeah. and oh, we, nice. we had a break. Yeah. And yeah. this is a second break. Right. That just ended. Right. But, well, I would try to tell you very quickly where I I am now as a photographer and What's the link between my photography and my trips now?
2: Can I interrupt you very quickly, though? Don't forget where you're going. Um, do you... Are you camping on the way, or where do you sleep? I have camping. I have a full camping uh, setup
4: up here. Right. Tents and air mattress and sleeping bag. And I hate camping. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy being there when everything is set up. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoy it. But you know? setting
2: up, taking it down, pain in the ass. Especially when it rains That's overnight. Great. You yeah. Just pull over and you're there. Exactly. Well, the reason I interrupted you is if it would be helpful at all, I could put this podcast up today. And if we talk about your route, people who live along your route... Oh,
4: uh, that would be amazing. ...could
2: invite you to, you know, they have a guest room or you can set up your tent in the yard or oh, whatever. Would you like that? Do I would love
4: that. because I know, love
2: meeting people. So. And the people who listen to this podcast are fucking great, man. I, I imagine. I'm not <laughs> blowing smart Because when we go off in the van, people hear... Or see through my social media like oh hey you're in texas you should like come by and you know let me buy you a beer or i have a buddy who lives in that town you should you know say hi and every time and i make a point we follow up right when we can Uh we follow up and everybody that i've ever met through this podcast has been absolutely fantastic so i would love to do this both for you and for them i was going to release a another episode later today you know the guy who cut his arm off yeah in utah Uh oh i met him i met him because the guy who listens to the podcast is a brewer in telluride colorado yeah Uh, david i think his name is and david said hey come get some beer i hear you're in colorado so we went we got some beer we met him super cool guy he said hey i know this guy aaron you may have seen the movie and uh, yeah and he's like do you want me to ask him if he'll do the pie so i ended up So that's how it works. It's just like, it's so wonderful to travel with this network of friends that we just haven't met yet.
4: You're lucky. And
2: this is what makes the trip. That's exactly it. It's meeting these people, meeting new friends and getting to know. All right. So I'm going to produce this and, and put it up either tonight or tomorrow morning. So let's talk about your route. So okay. people, now, do you want them to contact you directly or do you want them to write to me? And no, I they can it?
4: contact me directly. It's okay. uh, The best way would be via, um, what do you think? Email? Email, probably. email. Yeah. yeah. Which is very simple. It's my first name, Ricardo, R-I-C-A-R-D-O, R-I-C-A-R-D-O at first name and last name, ricardoserpa.com. S-E-R-P-A. S-E-R-P-A, Good. P as in Peter A. Ricardo at ricardoserpa.com. And my route will probably take me, depending on the weather, via Yosemite. Uh, then Lolo Pass is the nays. Yosemite, you going up 395 or you, you're going go up the
2: west side?
4: I'm going probably via 95 now. Cross Yosemite and then go via Tioga Pass to 395. And then over there via bridge ports and, right, and keep going. Right. Um, from there, Lolo Pass and Missoula, Montana, mm-hmm. and then Yellowstone. There is a highway up there. Called the Beartooth Highway. Yeah. And Chief Joseph. Have yeah, you been there? I have. Yeah. These are amazing places, yeah. all these big, vast skies. Yeah. Uh, and then the Grand Tetons. Um,
2: yeah. Um, I was there two two summers. Last summer, it was so smoky we couldn't see the mountains. Yeah, that's the problem. It was like that
4: a month ago.
2: Yeah. Now I'm
4: trying to see if my luck gets better. Uh, and after that, Colorado, north to south. Mm hmm. Utah, the south of Utah. What part of Colorado are you going to go? Like Grand Junction, and down Telluride. Probably about coming from Fort Collins and
2: Estes Park, uh, okay. Denver, and then over west. After that, yes, yeah, Denver, and then have you been to Crestone? Have no, you ever heard of Crestone? Not Crestone. Amazing place. I was just there. It's the only place in the country with a permit to do open air cremations. Really? Uh, yeah, and we were there for a cremation. Um, like a Tibetan or you mm-hmm. know, Indian Yeah, I know exactly. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting place. I'll, I'll talk to you about it maybe okay. after. Um, very interesting people there. Lots of religious... Uh, it's like the middle of nowhere. H- have you ever been to the, the Great Sand Dunes National Park? Yes. So it's just north of there. Okay, okay. Um, Creston. Along the Sangre de Cristo mountain range. Mm-hmm. A little village, but a a woman inherited a lot of property and she um, gave pieces of property to different religious orders. So there's like a a Hindu temple, Buddhist temple, Zen center, um, Sikhs. All these different religious uh, organizations have uh, retreat areas there. So it's a very small village, but you, you know... There's like monks walking down the street and, and it's the middle of nowhere. But it's very cosmopolitan and international and eccentric, interesting people That's there. the kind of place that I love. That's what I to thought. Say. You might... And there's a hot springs right near there as really? well. Very, yeah, people love. That's the... I, the cherry on the top of the
4: Sunday, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so continue. Yeah. So then, uh, are you going to go to Mesa Verde? Have you been Mesa Verde? There? Oh, yes, yeah. Mesa
4: Verde is amazing, yeah. amazing. Durango, um, yeah. Durango, uh, Mesa Verde, and then back to Valley of the Gods. Uh, I wish Skip Monument Valley because it's so too touristic, but yeah. Valley of the Gods is incredible, Capitol Reef, and just ride and photograph yeah. around there. And then I uh, go back home, straight home, so I can be there by mid-October. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I do this, uh, when I did my first trip, Chris, it was 2013, my first long trip. And I had, back then, I moved to Florida in 2001, had an internet business um, that didn't work out because of 9-11. It was a Brazilian supermarket. Mm. We were 2 million Brazilians in the country. And I said that's my excuse to come from Brazil to here and bring all my kids. Ah, right. So I'm gonna a- open a importing business importing
2: Brazilian products:
4: guarana, pão de queijo, cheese bread. You right. know the Brazilian soft drinks, Brazilian chocolates, and yeah, and because I I figured two million Brazilians living in the U.S. Um, they f- feel homesick, and there is nothing like when you cannot go back home. Open the fridge, get something that reminds mm-hmm. you from home. And it's 2001, the internet is happening. um, I spent everything I had creating a heck of a website. Three languages, integrated with UPS back then. And it was supposed to work. 9-11 came, like three months after I opened my site. From 2 million Brazilians, we were down to 800,000, because suddenly the US always had a very pragmatic view for immigration.
2: Yeah.
4: You cannot come, but come. Yeah. <laughs> and stay here. Have you seen that movie A day without a mexican? No. What yeah. would happen the to California if, if yeah. comes yeah. a pink cloud yeah. suddenly and Texas is a very bizarre movie. Yeah. All the Mexicans are gone. Yeah. And it's chaos. Yeah.
2: So uh, the it's US like moving the, the bees like yes the, the world shuts down shuts down the work isn't being done the, yeah. the really important work that nobody thinks about exactly Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, they they had this very uh,
4: pragmatic approach and suddenly it became a very aggressive approach hey yeah. let's enforce the law people were being deported because they were being stopped in traffic lights so they had jobs they had cars but they yeah. couldn't renew their licenses yeah. and so the, I had to close the business. And I opened a photography business. I opened a, a studio mm-hmm. to do, uh, and this is an interesting story, to do family portraits. Americans like portraits, photography. Uh-huh. said, okay, we Brazilians, we don't care. Yeah, Here, people care. So I opened this really nice studio with my last savings. It's a very wealthy town. I didn't know it. And I didn't know it, too. It's... Half of it is uh, it's a Jewish population in South Florida. Mm. So I opened the studio and I have no clients for three months, nobody knows me. It's called Lux Images. Beautiful name, Lux for the Latin lights and so on. One day this woman comes in and I say, hey, do you do bar mitzvahs? And I, I was lucky because I knew what a bar mitzvah was. I said, sure. Uh, but you are new here, are you Jewish? No. How many bar mitzvahs have you shot? And I go with my fingers. One, two, three, four, five, zero. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't lie, of course. And yeah. she goes, well, what makes you think you can shoot? Oh, I was a photojournalist. Here are a few books yeah. of my work. So she sat down. She saw the books. I didn't dare say a word. After 15 minutes, she goes, but you are not a photographer. And my heart, Chris, sank, like <laughs> very low. You are an artist. Mm. And I go, wow, lesson learned. Mm. I will never call myself an artist. Let people do it because yeah. it's not for me. Sure. Yeah. If, if people don't think I am, I would just be a ridiculous guy. But she knew what she was looking at. And she said it would be an honor for me to yeah. do my son's bar mitzvah. It's in January. We were in May. <laughs> and I go for a Brazilian. It's crazy. And I, yeah. I, And she booked me. Uh, I said, "Wow, the price is... Well, you are charging more than the most expensive guy here. And I said, okay, how much do you want to pay? She said, so it was good money back then. And I did. So I booked her. One week later, she brought five friends. Mm. All of them with bar mitzvahs ahead of them. Mm, Of hers, Good. So... It was the guinea pig, and yeah. and I did them all. And I told them, "Look, I'm not a, an event photographer. I'm a photojournalist. I will tell the story." And that was 450, 60 bar mitzvahs ago. <laughs> <laughs> People liked what I did, and mm-hmm. and great. I did it for many, many years. Yeah. And suddenly, I was being booked for by for three to four years in advance. Huh. And that kind of scared me. In the beginning, it was amazing. Yeah. But it was 2012, and I got a booking for 2016.
2: Hmm. You know, were you doing motorcycle trips during no. those years? No. You shut that all down. So you were just living at home? I stopped
4: or... riding in, ni- in 2001. Yeah. I didn't want to ride a motorcycle in Miami. Humid, oh, flats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I saw one day, I st- I'm at the stoplight, I see this huge BMW, ready to go around the road, and I go, wow, mm-hmm. loving f- at first sight. Yeah, yeah. And I got the bike, and I said to Nicole, next, next year, over summer, because I don't work, you don't do bar mitzvahs over summer. Right. Right? It's vacation. I'm going to Alaska. And back. And I prepared, I researched and I said to her, I need some time. I need, I'm feeling claustrophobic. I'm, I'm feeling a victim of my own success, if you may, mm. if you will. Um, I did it, and I came back a different person. Mm. I came back and said, that's what I want to do. I had had this life. It was amazing. It helped me a lot, and I still enjoy it. It's, it's nice to see people having good times and photographing it. But not when it's a commitment and a commitment that, you know, I was past that. Um, Basically, that's what I did. I started transitioning. I got my assistant, made him into a partner. You are the new lead photographer. The studio took a hit, of course, because I wasn't doing it anymore. And I did the same trip in 14, the same trip in 15. Already focused. yeah. Yeah. On launching my fine art system, my focus on becoming an artist. <laughs> right. <laughs> Since someone called you an artist, you might as well become one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and my clients started to buy my prints. Yeah. Big prints. Yeah. Like 60 by 40, 72 by 48, paying very good money for limited edition prints. And I said, that's the trick. I will add to the prints a little book with my journeys, so people can have something to talk about that print, that print relates to the book. And I just spent over six months, Chris, working on my own website to sell my prints, my own art gallery.
2: Which, I have to say, are fantastic, really beautiful. Thank you. I spent some time... Uh, looking at them both when we first got in touch, and also this morning, just to refresh my memory. Really beautiful stuff. I I, I like that you went to Alaska in winter oh. to like revisit some places and see it in a time of year very few people do. It reminds me of um, Steve McCurry's book about uh, monsoon in India. Yes, he's, yes. He's a great photographer. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, and I I spent two weeks in a van sleeping yeah. by the side of the road minus 30 yeah. to photograph the northern Lights yeah. and to see the landscape and now just before I left I launched the website but I didn't launch it I just have it online mm. it's live but I didn't do a single thing to promote it
2: ricardoserpa.com so,
4: ricardoserpa.com is my portfolio dot uh, my portfolio site that's where you see my work including some bar mitzvah photos mm. I'm not ashamed of showing them. It's who I am. Um, And I call them unscripted emotions because that's what it is. And right there on the website, you have a link how to buy. And that leads to RS Art Collections, which is where you can actually order the prints. Mm. Different finishings, like in acrylic, metal. It's printed in Germany and shipped free to your home. Mm. So it took me six months working on this. And the reason why I'm doing this trip, it's not my final trip, Chris, by any means. But I doubt I will do such a long 4 months, you know, trip again. Mm. Maybe two months, one and a half, specific countries. I, I'm dying to go to New Delhi, mm. get a Royal Enfield, yeah. and go all the way to Nepal. Yeah, I have some friends who've done that. Yeah. These will take me two months tops. Yeah. So this trip now is to capture high-resolution images. I have plenty now, but not as many as I want. Mm-hmm. Many of my photos are from ten years ago, mm-hmm. eight years ago. The technology. The changed. technology changed. Yeah. So if you want to do a sixty by forty, some photos I cannot. Yeah. I had to be very selective yeah. with the gallery. Yeah. So, that's why I'm traveling.
2: So, will you continue to lead motorcycle trips?
4: No. Uh, I, I may. I'm saying no, I was too quick on the the trigger. Uh, I may. Uh, but if I ever do this again, probably, it will be more something that I do on my side, on my own. Mm. Not working for someone.
2: Well, the reason I ask is I want to go on one. Really? Yeah. I, I, like I said, I love motorcycles. I love riding, but... For me, what happened with me was I had this motorcycle, I rode it every day. It was my... I lived outside of Barcelona, so I used it for work. I rode all the time, through Uh rain and snow. Whatever was happening, it didn't matter. I needed it to get to work where I was going. And I'm very comfortable on it. I rode it up into the Pyrenees and to France. I rode it to Portugal when I met (laughs) Casilda. Um, You know, I rode... I put a lot of miles on it. And then when casilda and i got together uh we got an apartment in the center of barcelona and i had a rule i didn't ride it on weekend nights friday and saturday night because people people drunk yeah yeah and i agree with what you said earlier that there's a safety in the vulnerability because you're much more aware and you're you're not like checking your phone while you're driving and you're not distracted and But there's also a sense that, you know, people make bad moves too quickly. Mm -hmm. And if you hit them in a car, maybe you get hurt. If you hit them on a motorcycle, probably you're going to die. And what happened with us is I broke my rule. We went to see a friend of mine playing in a band. And we are coming home and we were behind the streetlights that were synchronized. So we were about maybe 15 meters behind a group of cars that were just gliding down maybe 50 kilometers an hour down this road, the street in Barcelona. And someone was waiting on the left to park his car in an empty spot on the right side. It was like three lanes of traffic. And somehow he didn't see us. And so the group of cars passed and he just darted across the street. Right ahead of you. Right in front of us. To the point where I couldn't turn left. There wasn't enough space to to go around him in the back of his car. I hit the horn. He stopped. His nose was sort of um, in the center of this empty spot. And I swerved between his car and the parked car and then back out. I did like a swerve like that. And luckily, Casilda melted into my back. She didn't get nervous and freak out. She just held me. You were doing 50? Uh, probably. About 50 kilometers. That's kilometers, it. not miles. Oh, yeah. ah, okay. And maybe a little less, maybe 40. But it was, I mean, there wasn't more than maybe a meter gap on either side. And I had a BMW big bike with two side, you know, um, the boxes, boxes side or whatever. So it was pretty wide, but somehow we didn't hit. Either one, and I stopped. There, all these people saw it happen. I stopped. I got off the bike. I was. I had a helmet, gloves, leather. You know. I mean, I was like you were when you showed up. And it's the only time I can think in my entire life where I was ready to kill somebody. I was gonna just beat the fuck out of this person, and because also I was armored, right? Like there, he could have had a knife. He wouldn't have, you know, been able. And the guy got out of his car and he dropped to his knees, and he just said, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." Like, okay, fuck, I can't even hit yeah. you, you know. And it was, but that was the last time I rode. I sold the bike, and it was
4: because it, it caused you such an impression that you didn't ride anymore, or was it just a coincidence that you didn't ride?
2: No, no, it it it, it freaked me out enough. And the reason it freaked me out was that when I was writing myself, I felt like, look, if I die, my parents are going to be devastated. But I'm not going to leave a child without a father. Right. I'm not going to. I die. Whatever. It's no big deal. I traveled a lot. I've had lots of experiences where I almost died. I was shot at. I was, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've been in prison. Like all this. A lot of shit's happened that could have been really bad. And I was, I was willing to live with that, but with her on the back, she had a little girl. It changes school. She's a doctor, she's saving people. That's too much. Yeah. So that's why I stopped. Um, but now her little girl's grown up, and <laughs> "Fuck it, let's get on a bike again." But I wouldn't just ride around town. I would want to go on a trip. I want to go, you know, have an adventure somewhere. And I have a book idea that I'm working on that includes one of the chapters, is a journey. And listening to you talk, I was thinking, man, that journey could be a motorcycle trip.
4: Well, I now I'm a little it, r- reticent. Yeah. You say reticent? Yeah, reticent. Yeah. But if you want to do it, well, I can offer well, you we'll my idea. But one yeah. day I, I want to do this, and I had a crazy idea for a book. Hmm. See if you follow my right. my my drift. Sure.
2: <laughs> catch your drift. Yeah. Catch
4: your yeah. Because so far, I told this to a couple of people, they didn't. They couldn't get it. But the thing is, you know how Harley davidsons here are kind of a cult? Mm. Not kind, they are a cult, right?
2: Yeah.
4: Everywhere you go. Yeah. In India, you have Royal Enfields. You are familiar with it, which besides being a cult, it's also a very practical way of moving there. Mm. Cheap and yeah. so they are everywhere. So I had this plan of going to New Delhi, Chris, buying um, a brand new Royal Enfield, which is like 1500 bucks. And at the time I'm buying this, my next town, my next stop from New Delhi would be related to that motorcycle. Either the guy who sold me has some cousin. Or some good friend up north who deals with royal infields and would love to see me and this guy on his hand has some kind of a royal infield connection up north, and I could just
2: connect the dots mm.
4: so you understand? Each,
2: each person leads you to the next so when you you're only planning one town ahead yes yeah. I have my plan b right. my
4: route because if it doesn't work I can I know where to go, but the idea is to make a whole trip connected by this coat of the motorcycle. Mm, interesting. You understand?
2: Yeah. Yeah,
4: sure. I'm here sleeping in this, in this room with 15 people more because it's next to a uh, Royal Enfield shop. Yeah. And they are friends with the guy from New Delhi. Right, right. And these guys know someone else who <laughs> who is a racer, you yeah, know. And yeah. And I would love to do something, to yeah. take the time that it takes. Have
2: you been to India? No. Oh, wow. I, I went to. Well, riding in India is a special experience.
4: I, I've seen many, many yeah. <laughs> hours and hours of footage, all the crazy roads. and, yeah, and the But animals, where do you want to, to to go?
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sort of open. I was thinking, you know, the, the idea, and maybe you'll relate to this, actually, because we've... We've had there's some parallels in our lives. I I can see already. Only knowing you for a couple of hours, we're very. I'm 56. I was born in 62. 61. Yeah. So we're very close, similar in age, and uh, and also, I mean, the whole sort of like you know, you you sort of have it and you walk away from it, and you know, like I've done that a few times as you have, and um, the the idea I had was when I turned 50, everybody was especially men were commiserating there was a lot of like hey it's a tough one 50s tough you'll you'll be all right you know and that <laughs> did you feel thing. it i didn't that, that that's what struck me I, and and i thought about it a lot is like why is everyone expecting me to feel so traumatized yeah. when i feel great i mean i felt it too yeah <laughs> that's so crazy now in in my own life Uh, Just a couple of years before that, I published this book, Sex at Dawn, which nobody expected to get published. It was all just like this crazy, wild um, idea and somehow it happened and it became a bestseller and it's in 20 languages and i'm doing a ted talk and like i got all this money coming from which i was living on you know i was teaching english in barcelona (laughs) to doctors for 20 euros an hour and then suddenly i'm like being invited to australia to give a talk at the sydney opera house and i'm like what the fuck so it's like the new york thing again
4: the guy asking yeah, you exactly. but this time it's life doing the interview
2: yeah yeah and it's and it's something i really did want to do right where i i did want to talk about this material i did want to um occupy this position that, that suddenly opened up for me right so i felt great and i was with Casilda. we were happy everything was like wow and everyone's expecting me to feel so sad and i i thought well okay but what's, what's it like for the average guy when he turns 50? The average American guy, especially. And probably it's not just American. But I was thinking of people I knew. Life is boring, man. You, you've had the same job for a while. You're, you've risen to a position where you can't take chances. You can't risk anything. You need to buckle down. You need to pay off the mortgage. You got kids in college. You got a lot of financial pressure. Probably you've been with the same woman a long time. Maybe that's not working out, but you can't risk the Mm -hmm. disruption there. You, um, you know. Health-wise, you're probably feeling like you're on the down slope because you're stressed all the time. You're not getting enough sleep. You're drinking too much. Like everything is negative. And what you're trying to do is just hold on and pay off the bills before you die. That, that's hope, the next thing.
4: And really hope that you don't ask yourself the question, is there a purpose on all this? Yeah. Because if you do, yeah. you're screwed.
2: Because you don't want to be asking that question in your 50s. Mm. You don't want to ask that question in your 20s yes you know where there's still time i mean you ask it whenever you ask it <laughs>
4: <laughs> i keep asking things all myself all my all the time the, as long as oh, oops.
2: as long as you
4: got the beach Boys as yes. a ringer that's hilarious surfing you say i'm a surfer is that only when you're in california no
2: <laughs> all the time to remind me my
4: surfing days you're, i love to a surfer surf. ah. oh since since i was eight
2: I have a very good friend who's been on the podcast who's a big wave surfer. Really? All, What's he his name? The world. Kyle Tierman. He lives in yeah. Santa Cruz. Uh, my brother... He'd love to have you on his podcast, but really? you're not going through Santa Cruz, are you? He'd uh, take you out on the waves, too. He's he's, uh, he's a great guy.
4: No, my son lives close to Santa Cruz. It, it may happen. If oh, okay. really We'll, it we'll put you in touch. Uh, but anyway, uh, about the questions... Uh, I was telling you quickly about my brother. My brother, who I love so much, is 55 years old, Marcelo. He became a legend in advertising, really a legend, a uh, living legend. Hmm. He's one of these off-the-charts guys, and now he he's retired. He sold his company back in Brazil, um, and he's in Hawaii. He lives in Sunset Beach, close to Sunset Beach, Velzeland. I've by been the beach, Hawaii. by the beach, surfing big waves ah. and painting. Ah, that's a heck of a life. Um, and I, I was just with him. The wedding here in mm. L.A. was his daughter. And I told him, you know what? That feeling when you get a fantastic wave that keeps on going, and you're in the barrel. Yeah. Uh, I just found out that sometimes, end of the day, some cro- some roads out there empty roads twisties yeah it's exactly the same feeling i'm yeah. surfing on my motorcycle You're flowing yeah i'm flowing yeah. and it's the end of the day the light is perfect yeah i know that feeling it's fantastic but anyway going back to your desire to tr- to travel but i'm interrupting you
2: well the, the, i'll tell you where it fits in to the whole thing about turning 50 i i realized that what's missing from their lives is newness And vulnerability and risk I mean there's a lot of vulnerability but it's a different kind it's not the vulnerability of trying something new so I decided why not write a book in my 50s where it's five chapters and I learn or do five new things and some of them will be in places where I've been earlier in my life so there will be a personal memoir kind of thing for example Go to Alaska. I haven't been to Alaska since I was twenty five. You yeah, started there. I started my whole thing. Go back to Alaska and learn to fly from a bush pilot. Right? Spend three months up there taking lessons, learn to fly a small mm-hmm. airplane from some character who's got lots of good stories and see Alaska from the sky and have this experience and you know how I've changed, how Alaska's changed, and then go to you know maybe senegal and learn to play conga drums with a bunch of eight-year-olds or go to colombia and try to learn to salsa dance or things where i'm gonna look stupid and ridiculous but it'll be funny it'll be interesting and anyway so there'll uh, another one is i'm i'm shooting my bow now learning to shoot a bow because really? i'm going to go to hawaii and hunt uh wild pigs <laughs> with kyle the surfer i told you about because he has a buddy there who's a hunter and a spear fisherman and he's going to take us hunting so there will be these different experiences and I wanted the last chapter to be a journey so right now the the plan would be to go for six weeks walking in the Italian Alps and just from village to village um, because some of them are ancient trade routes um, like uh, Otsi, the Otzi the Iceman mm-hmm. his body was found up there <coughs> excuse me um, but anyway, a motorcycle trip could be interesting. It could be so, interesting. I don't know. I thought one thing. Another idea I had was would be to buy a donkey in Argentina and take the donkey up over the Andes to Chile. You know, just load it up with rice and beans and whatever. And I have a friend who bought a donkey in Pakistan <laughs> and walked and for four months in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. He's also the guy, by the way, who's ridden all over India on a Royal Enfield. He's uh, he lived in India for twenty years. Really interesting, dude. Well, if that's the
4: case, all the all the ideas that you just told me, yeah, they are amazing.
2: <laughs> they are out of the ordinary. Also, float down the Mekong on a raft. That was another idea I had.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I have to stay more time here with you to spend more time with you because I like your ideas. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, the motorcycle tour—the ones I used to to guide—and I did it for four years. Um, I don't think, I wouldn't say they are for you. That's not what you want to write about. Hmm. Because they are very domesticated in a way. Very tamed. They are made for people who, the type of people who I meet all the time, when I'm doing my trips, I park the bike. I mean, I fill up gas station in the middle of nowhere. Go inside, have some water, uh, restroom. I go back. Almost always, Chris, there is someone there looking at the bike. With that long look, you know, mm. that long... And I, I know, by now, I know exactly what I'm going to listen. Yeah. Hey, you came from Florida. I saw the license plate. Heck of a trip. You are far from home. And then comes the, the sentence. I've
2: always wanted to do that.
4: I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. And I don't know why I didn't. They didn't because of all the reasons you just yeah. you just said. They are absolutely correct, and this gives me a lot of—I don't know—I feel the weight. I feel this weight because suddenly I'm writing for him.
2: Compassion, compassion. Do you know the, the origins of the word compassion? Right? Come yeah. together. You're feeling their experience. It's
4: in yeah. German. It's Mitgefühl. Huh. We- Do you speak German? Ein bisschen. I yeah. live there, and now I don't. I, I forgot it. almost everything. But I lived in Munich, and I learned German, yeah. Work there. Is and, what, and what's with. Mit.
2: And what's gefühl? Gefühl.
4: Gefühl is to feel. Yeah. To feel with. Yeah. It's to feel with. Yeah. To feel together with someone. To feel what you are
2: feeling. Yeah. That's compassion. So you're writing for them. You have the weight of their unlived lives, Someone said to me once, or I read somewhere, we live our parents' unlived lives. And maybe that's exactly what I'm, that's how we
4: started here, right? And it can be, it can well be. In my case, the more I think about it, Chris, the more I think about another milestone. It was a book I read when I was probably 12, 13 years old, Mm. didn't know much about life at all. But I knew already I was into different interests. I was surfing, but more into inner... Hmm. inner, I don't know how to say that. Inner immersion. I had my friends, but I had friends who loved to read and didn't know how to get close to the beach. I had friends who were amazing surfers. Failures at school. So I was kind of... And I read this book. I always loved to write, to, to read... This guy that I love, it's a German author, Hess, Hermann Hess. Yeah. Have you? Sure, Siddhartha. Siddhartha. Siddhartha is my, it's a simple book. It's almost like a how-to book. Yeah. But what impressed me about Siddhartha is that just like you, and maybe a little bit like me, we have gone through many different paths in life, in our current life. So, you were very full of money in New York, managing things, and suddenly you were traveling in Nepal. One-way trip. One-way ticket to New Delhi. Exactly. That's what I did. You you experienced that life. You enjoyed it. And at some point, you said, okay, next chapter. What made you do that? It's very personal, of course, but we all did this. And if you remember how Siddhartha ends, it's... I don't remember. After being a, a gambler, a womanizer, uh, an hermit... A remit, A hermit. A hermit. After going through, he was looking for the truth. Yeah. And Govinda, his sidekick, they were looking for the Buddha. When they ma- met the Buddha, Govinda became a follower of the Buddha. And Siddhartha said, yeah, I understand this is all great. But this is Buddha. I want the mind path, yeah. my own path. So he ends up being um, living in a by the river, transporting people from one side to the river to
2: the other. The river sticks. Huh? The river sticks. The yeah. river of death. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> yeah. That's that uh, story. But
4: it's in a way we are doing it a little bit we are Mm. life has to be more than that yeah has to be more than having a mortgage and a bunch of kids who are going to they're condemned almost to lead your whole life again yeah and i don't want to stereotype but you know what i can tell you this if you If you ask me, Ricardo, I have the power to bring you back to 18. But you start 18 now. I would say, hey, Chris, thanks, but no thanks. I'm totally fine. Are you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that's... If you have that, nothing else matters. Yes. And that's, that's the risk. When you give it all up, that's what you're gonna gonna win that's your reward yeah you win
4: a lot and yeah. that's how i feel i feel very fortunate now uh far from far from what i ever imagined i would do yeah. but happier in a way that i never thought i would be so in a way i can say i'm a little happy i'm happy for me and yeah. maybe for my dad too who knows yeah yeah
2: yeah, I mean if you can look back and say I lived my life. Oh, I did. Then doesn't matter when it ends, doesn't matter what happens. I I won't tell the story now. People have heard it before, but I uh when I was 27, I was in Guatemala on top of a temple uh to watch the sunset and the full moon rise. And I was with this woman from New York that I, you know, mm-hmm. this was years later. Um and I'd taken some LSD, and a scorpion stung my foot. Oh! And a Guatemalan man who was there said they were fatal, they were lethal. So I thought I was dying that and night. And that's after the LSD. Uh, it was while I was having the LSD. Yeah, oh. yeah. So it was a very lot of trip. Interesting, <laughs> <It's an> interesting <laughs> trip. Yeah, yeah and it, what what happened well the, it's a long story okay. and as i say people have heard it before you tell I, me after uh, I'll, maybe. or you, i'll tell you where you can hear me to, there's actually it's in that book that's right there that risk book uh, i told the story on their podcast and then they made a book and oh, it's okay. it's out there in the world but um but the point that i wanted to make is that um because i had that experience for a couple of hours believing I was dying my tongue swelled up my throat swelled closed my muscles froze in my leg and you thought that was it yeah I thought well when this gets to my heart then then I'm dead right um and uh but the what it left me with was this facing that experience and 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 this what you said is exactly what I felt at that time this was 1989 I looked at my life and I said, well, I'm young, but I've lived my life. I've been around the world. I've been loved by beautiful women. I've loved women. And when I say beautiful, I don't mean models. I mean deep, deep connection with people. Beautiful human beings. (laughs) Human beings. I've had great friendships. I've, I've done whatever the fuck I wanted to do. And when my friends hear that I died tripping my ass off on a temple in guatemala they'll they'll be happy for me right anyone who really knows me won't be sad because they'll know that fucking guy drank everything in the bottle right and then i felt like ever since then it's all just extra it's all just like oh you know this is this is just a bonus it's all bonus times i then.
4: totally relate to that chris but comparing your experience to my own experience, which happened at the same time, yeah, right?
2: I was thinking Basically, that when you were describing it, yeah, it was it's
4: very It's funny how you have this alignment, yeah. but um, at the same time, the difference is that I didn't have, back then, that life you, you had right. lived. Right, uh, so for you it was a wake-up call. For me it was my father's wake-up call. Yeah. I don't want to go yeah. just like he did. Yeah. Uh and I feel like I owe him somehow. Not owing in a like it's a pressure, but it would be great to do something in his You for him.
2: But you did owe him. You owed him you you owed him respect for what he tried to say to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. In a in
4: a way you were totally right, yes. So I felt like I should go and do it. But again, I'm thirty 28, right? Mm. So, at 29, I joined the the newspaper. And then at 30, I meet Nicole again. And I want to be a father. So, I had to quit my job uh, and go back to being a suit and tie guy. I did it. Made money. Raised my family. But then at some point, I said, okay, time to go back to my roots, which is photography. And I came to the States and so on. And now, I can say that i can I have that feeling that my kids I grew up four kids, which is a huge huge thing hmm. when you have kids, your life changes yeah. of course it's a whole different perspective you you have people depending on you yeah. they are all grown ups, graduated in colleges and working and happy, starting their own lives. they don't need me, yeah. Even financially, I may need them. Be aware. <laughs> <laughs> Keep doing well. Um, so it's like life opens up, like you're young again, in a way. I'm totally young again. Yeah, and um, I have. It may be a very lucky thing. Nicole, my wife. It's she's not a, an anchor wife. You know these wives who try to hold you. Right. Right. She's not. She. Yeah. She. She really supports my trips. Mm. But she gives me some balance. Yeah. If it were not for her, I would have no reason to stop. Actually, to stop writing yeah. and writing and photographing. Yeah. I'm not saying that this is what I want to do. You'd
2: get sick of sleeping in that fucking tent, of it. I would. <laughs> and without without yeah. my wife. <laughs> so. Yeah. Exactly. Alone in the tent. Even worse. Thank you, man. I, I don't want to hold you too long because I know you you want to get out of town before the traffic starts to congeal in Los yes. Angeles. The timing is everything. <laughs> but anyone who's along that route, so we're going up through the Sierras, Yosemite, Lake Tahoe, Reno area, up into Montana, then down through Yellowstone, Yellowstone Colorado, um, Colorado. Utah. Yeah, uh, get in touch with Ricardo and. Um yeah yeah i wish you could stay here i wish i wish we were on your route and we could hook you up for tonight <laughs> it would be great it well, would be great chris but as i
4: said um I, I could of course but after these days here yeah you've been stuck for I'm a while itching, you're ready to roll itching to, oh. to be there yeah. and one day i i don't like to make promises but i'll be back
2: here Good. Um good. I and feel like not, now
4: I have a a friend actually true. Yeah. Cassie and yeah,
2: yeah, and hopefully uh we'll see you on the road somewhere. I definitely I don't think India's the trip for me. I've spent a lot of time in India and I, I if I do a motorcycle thing I see something more like open open uh, mountains, and you know, like like maybe do the if there's a road up over the Andes on a motorcycle, of fr- course, there is. You know, from Buenos Aires to Santiago or something. Have
4: you ever thought about going to Patagonia? Yeah, end of the world. I would to love to. I've never been That's there. That's something but... you can combine. You can cross the Andes from Chile to Argentina, yeah, get the bikes, rent the bikes in Chile, yeah, cross and then come it around, the... and go down from. Uh, Route forty, I think it goes all the way to Ushuaia, which is a place I want to be. Uh, if you ever do this, yeah. um, don't this, don't do this in a tour because a tour it's for people who
2: yeah. have two weeks. No, I um, would do it the way you're doing it. I'd uh, stop when I want to stop, and I speak Spanish, and you know. And if you want yeah. to do it, and if you want some company,
4: if I have the time, I would love to do it with you. Yeah, because, that would be great, man. Yeah. Because I always wanted to go there, and i'm local i'm south american <laughs> always helps yeah definitely. but i I'm, I'm i'm serious i would
2: right. i would do it right. um, well, that could be that that could be chapter five that's that's all i' Unless hate. you want to do it by yourself no 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 I, I you know I've traveled a lot, and uh I like to travel alone, and I also like to travel with people who know how to travel. Yeah. And what I mean by that is people who understand how to modulate space. In, in other words, someone who's with you all the time and can't be alone, fuck that. Someone who, like I had a buddy, Sean, I have a buddy, I haven't seen him in a while, but we traveled together for a while. And it was great because he was the kind of guy where you say, Hey, you know what, man? I'm going to be alone for a few days. I'll see you in Kathmandu. Sure. Okay. Then we'd hook, you know, see you in Kathmandu. A few like, days, a few hours. A few days, whatever it is. But like, I read a beautiful thing, uh, Rilke, the German poet. Yeah. Um, he wrote about, um, he had a book called Letters to a Young Poet, where he was writing to this. I young I read that when I, I was you know, young. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things he said was, he was talking about a, a intimate relationship, but I think this applies to real friendship as well, which is... Your greatest responsibility is to guard the solitude of the other. Like that's what a true friend does is recognizes, hey, you you've got your private space, I'm that's here perfect. to protect it for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. That is so, perfect. and I sense you understand that, so I think traveling with you would be uh, enriching because when we both feel like hanging out, we hang out, and when you need to go do your thing or I do, then that's and fine.
4: Very probably we wouldn't need to explain anything right. because it's just we, we you learn how to read people yeah, yeah. at some point. I have to right. thank you so much, Chris, for thank you. the opportunity, for, and thank for the Andrew. chance. And Andrew. thank Andrew and Tiffany and Pele. <laughs> they were amazing people. Yeah. And I just told them how, how happy I am to call them friends now. Yeah, That's yeah. the beauty of the road. Yeah. Exactly. You make friends and... Um, That's it. Thanks a lot
2: again. So if you want to hear more, Ricardo, check out the Monkey Tooth podcast. I think they just released your conversation last uh, week. week. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you. So there you have it. A friendship is born. He's my kind of guy. RicardoSerpa.com. Check out his work. His photography is fucking amazing. Really. Um, All right. What do I have to tell you? Shirts. I put a lot of shirts on sale, or mom did to be precise. Um, the Civilized to Death shirts are regular price, 25 for men, 20 for women. The anthropology shirts, I think, are 20 and 15 maybe, or just 20 I don't know. And all the other stuff, the Tangentially Speaking and all the other uh, various shirts that aren't as popular are priced to go they're like five bucks six bucks i don't know they're cheap as fuck so if you want some cool shirts check them out uh and also it's cool a lot of orders have been coming in which is really nice and uh it's cool for mom to be busy she loves it she she loves the little notes you guys put there on the order form so say hi to julie it makes her happy um And, uh, of course, all that's at tangentiallyspeaking.com. You can find that stuff. And also beer cozies and stickers and decals for the car and all sorts of stuff that you might or might not want. Uh, What else can I tell you? Oh, here's an interesting thing. You know that expression, the exception proves the rule? Well, consider this a public service announcement. That, in Spanish, you say there's a a verb probar, which means to try something to see if it works in that sense you um uh, i can't think of, of course i can't think of a good example of it in spanish but most of you don't speak spanish so it doesn't matter but the point is that there's a secondary meaning of probat, of prove which is not to prove that something is what it is, it's to test to see if it is what it is. And you can see the logic of that, right? You only can test, you can only prove it by testing it. Um, Otherwise, how are you going to demonstrate that it's true? Well, it turns out the exception proves the rule comes from the second meaning. The exception tests the rule, not demonstrates it, not confirms it. So, We're using it so wrong in English that we're actually saying the opposite of what it means. What it means is the exception tests the rule, challenges the rule, sheds an interesting critical light on the rule. Not that it doesn't even make sense. Well, the exception proves the rule. No, how can the exception prove the rule? How how can, you know, if two plus two equals four... And you say, yeah, but, you know, sometimes it equals five. Well, that doesn't prove that two plus two equals four, then. It proves that something's wrong with your mathematical system. Right? So, think about that. The exception doesn't demonstrate that the rule is true. The exception calls into question the rule. That's what it means. That's what the exception proves the rule really means. Anyway... Just want to get that off my chest. I thought that was very interesting and important and enlightening little anecdote or story for you there. Uh, All right. What else do I have to say? If you want to send in one of those audio clips, which I love, please send them to email them. And the best format is MP3, 20 seconds or so. Um, Please don't be selling anything or or don't get too creative and, and no need to. Tell me you love the podcast. I, I appreciate that. But the the real thing is I just want to hear who you are and what you're doing and what's going on in your life. And, yeah, if the podcast has changed your life, that's wonderful. But you don't need to blow smoke up my ass. I've got a smoky enough ass as it is. Uh, but thank you for that. Send them to Christopher Assistant at com. And uh, I guess that's all I have to say. There, there are always other things that I forget I should be saying. I should be thanking new Patreon contributors. And I should be reminding you that if you buy stuff at Amazon through my link, um, some of that gets kicked back toward me, which makes life so much better. And uh, allows me to spend more time doing all sorts of creative endeavors, one of which is the podcast. But that doesn't mean that Amazon supports this podcast, because Amazon sure as fuck does not support this podcast. Oh, I know something I wanted to make sure to say. Um, somebody on the Reddit um, community page posted an article that was in The Atlantic uh, a few days ago that goes back uh, a couple of scientists, historians... Uh, went back and looked at a book called *The Technology of Orgasm* by Rachel Maines. It is a book that Casilda uh, and I drew from in *Sex at Dawn*. Uh, it's a historical examination of vibrators and hysteria, which um, was—it's uh, an ancient disease that um, is essentially female sexual sexual frustration. Anyway, Rachel Maines, who's a historian, she was at Cornell, I think, wrote this book arguing that vibrators were invented by doctors in order to treat women who were suffering from hysteria, and we included that in Sexaton. Well, these other historians, 10 years later, went back and looked at the citations and the historical sources that she used in her book and basically concluded that she was full of shit. And that she had misrepresented some of her sources. She had um, mistranslated from Greek or Latin. Um, that it was a real sloppy piece of of history. And then when the journalist who was writing this article reached out to Rachel Maines and said, "Hey, these people are claiming, you know, blah blah blah. Your your book is founded on shoddy." history. Her response was, "Wow, well, I never meant people to take it seriously. That was just a hypothesis. I was just saying, wouldn't it be cool if this were true? Which is a bunch of bullshit, because if you read the book, and the journalist points this out in their article, she speaks declaratively. Doctors invented the vibrator in order to da-da-da, and then this, this happened, and then that happened, and it's written as a scholarly work of history. And at no point does she say this is a fantasy or a hypothesis. Anyway, long story short, it's fucked because our book, Sex of Dawn, is now contaminated with some of this shitty science or shitty history, I should say. Um, so there are two reasons I wanted to um, bring this to your attention. One is so that you're not going around repeating this anecdote that I've been, or this supposed historical fact that I've been repeating for years, uh, which is that doctors invented vibrators to treat hysteria by giving women orgasms. Uh, I don't want you to be uh, basing your credibility on something that uh, just isn't true, even though it's in our book. And the other reason is I would want to be very clear and open and state publicly that, uh, you know, I've read this and and it convinces me that that source was full of shit. And so our book is contaminated with that. I wrote to our publisher and hopefully they'll allow us to change that part of the book and remove this but if they don't i'll be talking about that publicly as well the article is called victorian era orgasms and the crisis of peer review it's by rob robinson mayer and ashley fetters it was published september 6th 2018 just a couple of days ago four days ago so check it out it's a good article and um yeah and it really lays it out there so uh, apologies to those of you who've been spouting that nonsense since reading sex at dawn. It, it sure looked like a serious piece of history when we read it and um, full of citations and, you know, she taught it a reputable place. And uh, so there you go. That's how it works. All right. Thank you for listening to this. Thank you for your very, kind and supportive messages I've been receiving, um, over the last week or so, since my dad died, uh, we're doing okay. And, um, one of the reasons we're doing okay, frankly, is that I'm so happy doing this podcast and my mom and my dad and are proud and it, it makes us all feel fantastic that there are tens of thousands of people out there who consider this worthy of their time and one of them is you so thank you very much for that all right that's enough for me here's carcy blanton and uh i'll catch you next time
3: he said baby what's a big deal feel what you want to feel say what you want to say you're gonna die one day A chest, you wanna shut it up but give it a rest. You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation? Running from a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say.